This episode is brought to you by 9AM Health. 9AM Health, diabetes care that fits your life. I'm getting ready to have an interview with someone who I greatly admire and who I really respect and who was one of the first, you know, people that I came in contact with. I don't want to say contact with, but who I started following and keeping up with and all of that when I was diagnosed. And I'm really glad that she is going to be on the pod today. So welcome in another episode of Healing in Hindsight. You're an opiate source for thriving with diabetes. I am Taylor Danielle, and I'm really just... This is going to be special for me, especially for those who are newly diagnosed. It's, it, it can be lonely. It can be really lonely sometimes. And this guest saw me in a way, even though she never knew I existed, I felt very seen whenever I started, I a stumbled upon her and then started to follow her because she was not only at the time living with type 2, that now has since changed, and I'll let her tell that part of the story. But she was the only woman of color, specifically a Black woman. She was the only Black woman who I found to give me some clue. Because we're about the same age. Our diagnosis stories are actually quite similar. We're both from Texas. Like, it's really crazy to meet somebody. And I remember, and I wish I could go back and find that post and that comment. It's been years now. But I remember commenting on her Instagram and being like, I am so glad that I found you. And I am speaking about Mila Clark, also known as the Hangry Woman. And she is gracing us with her presence today. She's such a sweetheart. She's a very humble person. She shoots it straight. I, I love it so much. And I'm really excited just to talk with her about how she deals with people being about her diabetes. I think that's something in the type 2 space sometimes that happens. And then later on, you find that it happens in other community, in other variants. I don't know if variants is the right word because COVID. But other types of diabetes, you discover that people really are so worried about your diabetes and not in the helpful way. And it's just like, why are you so pressed about what's going on with my body? So I reached out to her and really wanted to pick her brain about this because she has been such a champion and advocating for not only those living with diabetes, but especially people of color and really championing dealing with a lot of the toxic shit that comes up in social media when it comes to sharing your story online, especially when it comes with a medical diagnosis that's so stigmatized that you get a lot of ignorance. I'm really excited to chat with her today. I hope that you are. I say I'm really excited all the time because I am, but I'm trying to be use better words. Of course, now I can't think of one, but this is going to be really cool for me. This is a huge deal for me personally because I've watched her grow and just be such a huge force in the diabetes community and be such a huge voice in the diabetes community. And so for her to stop by the show today and share her story and her experience is huge for me. So I won't hold you up any longer. Here's my combo with Mila. You're listening to Healing in Hindsight, your Nobia source for thriving with diabetes. What's up? I'm Taylor Danielle, and it's my goal to help millennials living with diabetes have an amazing life without your diagnosis getting in the way. I get it. I was diagnosed back in 2015 with type 2 diabetes, 
and I had no one around my age to understand how I could still travel, socialize, or even have meaningful relationships. But I feel like with a focus on mindset perspective and lifestyle changes that are unique to you, together, we can take back our health and our lives. Consider this the red table talk for those living with diabetes. Minus the entanglements, though. So let's do it. Oh my gosh, Mila! Hello. Hi. It's happening. It's finally. Happening. Finally. Finally. <laughs> I low-key had to call you on the live. No, I'm kidding. I am. It worked, though. It worked. You know, because you, you are a busy lady. You are out there advocating for so much change. I get it. Your DMs stay blown up. And I even remember I sent you a little video. I was like, maybe this will catch her attention. Is If I send her a video of myself asking her to be on the show. And yeah, but you're here. I am like beyond excited just because I've been following you for so long and you've done so much. And it is such a privilege, honestly, to get to just pick your brain on something that I know that you deal with a lot and something that I'm starting to recognize and understand. And I feel like as more and more people are, yeah, it's unfortunate coming into the diabetes community are experiencing this, especially now that we're in this wave of like unique treatment versus cookie cutter treatment. So thank you so much for your time today. And of course, as a fellow Texan, it's always good to, to speak with someone who's only a couple hours away versus like halfway across the world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm so excited. And it's just thinking about all the times we have tried to touch base, like playing like literal Instagram DM tag. Like I'm so <laughs> glad we're finally like actually able to sit down and have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a good one because I, I, the question for today is like, why are you so worried about my diabetes? Emphasis on my, because it just seems like whenever, and it's it sucks and it pisses me off a little bit, but it just seems like whenever we get together, and large groups, there's always somebody who has to have an opinion or police something that you're doing. And it's not just like the diabetes community. Yeah. It's any large grouping of people that have a similar view on something or have something in common. And so something that you have just been so graceful at is your clapbacks are some of the most epic ones I've ever seen. And people just deciding that they want to tell you what to do with your body. And as Texans, we didn't had enough of that shit. So... I can only imagine on a twofold space of not only from as a woman, but then as a black woman, but then as a black woman living with diabetes, there's all of these layers of stigma and you've just been so poised in how you've handled those oppositions. Before we dive into it, I know who you are. I'm sure several people know who you are, but for those who don't, could you just introduce yourself? Let us know where you're from, what do you do, and your diagnosis story. Yeah. So I'm Mila Clark and I am living with LADA, latent autoimmune diabetes in adults, which is a slow progressing form of type 1 diabetes. I was originally misdiagnosed with type 2 and have a whole interesting story about that and just like the way that it brought me into the diabetes space. But I write a blog called The Hangry Woman, which is all about finding joy in food and really not taking shit from people about your diabetes. And Learning to own it, learning to just be more conscious of diabetes in general, and then learning the basics so that you feel confident enough to tackle things like stigma or you feel confident enough to walk into your doctor's office and ask the questions that you need to ask to get the care that you deserve. So I love doing that. It's like my life's work, my life's passion. And then as far as my diagnosis story, so I was diagnosed in 2016 with type 2 in 
kind of the way that I think everybody with type two is diagnosed. But I thought that when I look back on it and I reflect, I was like, actually, this is not the way that you should ever be diagnosed. (laughs) And it was basically me telling my doctor, I have a family history of type two. My mother and grandmother both had gestational diabetes, which turned into type two for them. And having all the same symptoms, the like weight loss really quickly, losing like 20 pounds within six weeks didn't make sense to me. Night sweats, having to pee every five minutes, extreme thirst, all of it. And so I got my blood sugar tested at that appointment, got a call from the nurse in the doctor's office who said, you need to come back right now. You have diabetes, your blood sugar is 323, and this is not good, basically. And so when I went back for the follow-up appointment, everything was a fear tactic. It was you're so young and you shouldn't let this happen to your body. And if you don't take care of this right now, you're going to get kidney disease. You're going to have to go on dialysis. You have potential for amputations. You could lose your eyesight. I mean, it was like literally throwing every complication at me for the first 10 minutes of this conversation. And then afterwards being like, oh, but there are apps you can use to track your blood sugar. And I'm going to have you take insulin twice a day and not showing me how to do it. And just handing me a blood sugar meter and a lancet and being like, prick your fingers twice a day and record the numbers and come back to me and see me in three months. And so much of that was so jarring to me and so frustrating. And like literally that night resulted in me crying in my kitchen because I was scared to prick my finger. I was scared it would hurt. I didn't know how to take insulin. I didn't want to take insulin. I told him at that appointment, I was like, because he was like, if you put, if we put you on insulin, you failed. And you have not managed your blood sugar in a way and you don't want to get there because then you'll never get off of it. Meanwhile, five years later, I'm like, oh, I needed insulin the whole time. (laughs) I was threatened with it. But like literally just staring at the insulin pen in my kitchen and the lancet and like bawling my eyes out because I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know anything about it. I was too shocked to ask questions when I was sitting in that chair. I was just so overwhelmed and thinking like, well, I'm going to die. So what's the point? And so like that night, I, after I cried (laughs) and did my whole like emotional thing, I was like, maybe somebody is talking about it. Maybe I can find resources about people that are my age living with type two, because everything that I had read and everything that I had known with like my family history and with what I could find out about diabetes, like you get type two when you're older, like you don't get type two when you're 26 years old. And that to me was like, okay, maybe I can just look and see. And I'm sure like, somebody's writing something about it and nobody was writing anything about it from that perspective, like from the perspective of a person of color, from the perspective of somebody who was younger and still wanted to do things. Like when I turned 26, I was like, I'm financially independent. I have my own place. I can do all my own stuff. I can go out with my friends. And then I was like, I can't do any of that with diabetes. Like I, and I don't know how to manage it or handle it or do it in a way where I feel like I can balance all of it and still enjoy my life. And so I sought that out and then nobody was writing that. So I am very shameless. And I just started spilling my guts on the internet about how I felt about being diagnosed with diabetes. And then that turned into my blog. Yeah. And I clearly sucked at it because I was diagnosed a year before you (laughs) and I did all the things, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So thank you for continuing the charge because eventually I stumbled upon you on Instagram and I was like, finally, 
someone who gets me <laughs> because it was a struggle. And wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It's interesting how I hear everybody's different diagnosis stories and some are hit with fear tactics and some are just thrown a bunch of information and sent home. And some are, I think the most common thing that I've heard, especially those who were diagnosed like in their, you know, late teens, early twenties is, oh, you're, mm-hmm. and especially for those who have family histories, both my parents have type two. And it runs on my mom's side of the family. My grandmother was on dialysis. I don't know if it was because of her complications with diabetes, but, you know, I wasn't until later that I learned that she even had it. And so it's so interesting how we're threatened with life-saving medication. That I think that's the piece that baffles me because they did the same thing with my mom. They were like, hey, if you don't get in check, we're going to have to put you on insulin. And my mom's qualms with it is more about the needle part because yeah. uh, she was even offered Ozempic, and I'm on Ozempic, and my dad's on Trulicity. So we're both weekly doing our shots. We even remind her, uh, each other when we're yeah. like Zoom calls, like, hey, did you do your shot this week? <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. But <laughs> she does not do needles, and she wants to avoid anything with needles. But the fact that the way that they presented insulin to her was as a punishment or as a, this is a, a failed thing, so if you get to this point, bad you, is so, it's frustrating. But I'm just like, where in the world do you... You get this. Who is teaching you guys? Scare the hell out of your patients and yeah, it'll get them it makes to do me right. wonder so often because I hear the same things. Like whenever I talk about my diagnosis story or I talk about when I finally did get on insulin, I had an Instagram reel the other day where I talked about how I love insulin. Like I hate that it's so expensive. I hate that it is like so unattainable, but it has made my life less of a hell and it has stabilized my blood sugars. And even though I get like total fatigue and burnout from having to do an injection every single time that I eat. And then once a day with my long acting, I am like, it is saving my life. I don't feel like a shell of a human being anymore. And it was so interesting to me, the juxtaposition, because when I was diagnosed, I had the fear tactics. If you don't do this, we're going to have to put you on insulin. Um, And then when I was going in to get re diagnosed with LADA because what happened there is I was taking oral meds for type two. And at one point they were working and they were working really well. And then all of a sudden it stopped and my A1C shot back up. So I was like coasting at almost like a seven. And so I was like, okay, this is great. This is wonderful. I go in for my three month checkup and I'm noticing like my blood sugars are acting wacky and everything. I'm taking my medication as prescribed. This is really weird. And then I go back in for my next appointment and my A1C had shot back up to 9.5%. And so my primary care doctor, I didn't have an endo at the time, but my primary care doctor was like facilitating all of my care. And she finally said, this is really bizarre. And I just, I don't want to put you on more meds because I feel like something else might be at play. So let me refer you to an endo and let's see what happens. And so I think back to the first conversation I had with my very first doctor who diagnosed me. And then the endo that I saw for my re-diagnosis, and he was so much more empathetic and gentle with me. And when I told him, this is my trajectory, I was diagnosed here, I started taking these oral meds, now they're not working, I'm not taking insulin currently, what do we do? He was like, let's test you for type 1 first. And just, it doesn't seem like you were ever confirmed, like your diagnosis was ever confirmed. They just assumed you had high blood sugar, but they didn't test your C-peptide. They didn't test you for antibodies. Let's do that first. And then we'll figure out where to go from there. And so then when I had to have the insulin conversation with him, it was not a threat at all. It was like, here are your options. Because you have LADA and you're still making insulin, we can put you on a GLP-1 first so that you don't have to do injections every mealtime. 
if the GLP-1 doesn't work for some reason, then let's discuss insulin and let's talk about it. And then the I used to take Ozempic. I ended up being allergic to it, which is like mind-blowing and so weird. So I had to get off of it. And then I ended up going to multiple daily injections. And so even moving on to that, there was no like blame or shame or fear tactics. It was like, let's get you to see um, a diabetes educator because we want you to be able to learn and a nutritionist. We want you to be able to learn how to carb count and do this properly. And so the endo gave me all of the tools without the judgment. Like he was like, this is just where you happen to be. Like, this is where you are. It's okay. You don't have to stress about it. And we're going to figure out what's right for you because ultimately the goal is not to stress you out. It's to get your A1C to an acceptable level so that you feel fine and then you are lessening your chance for complications. Mm -hmm. And so I just found it so interesting how my diagnosis was like, fear, be scared of diabetes sucks and now you have it. It's your fault. And if you don't do all the things to turn this around, this is what's happening. And then the conversation with my endo was, you have options and we're going to test and tinker until we find whatever option works for you because not everybody's bodies work the same. And so I even remember having like so much anxiety before that appointment because I was like, I have to see a new doctor and I'm going to have to explain this over and over again if he doesn't believe me. And I've talked to primary care about this and they've just said, you might, you just exercise more. It's fine. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know what to do at this point. And I can't take another healthcare professional like dismissing me and making me feel like I'm not doing what I'm setting out to do. And yeah, it's just, it's really interesting to see that. And I hear that conversation a lot too, and people being diagnosed with different types. Like whenever you're diagnosed with type one, like typically you're a kid and people have said, oh, whenever I was in the hospital or like when I got the diagnosis, I remember them telling my parents, it's not their fault. They didn't do anything to deserve this. Here are the options and the means and the ways of getting through this. And then I hear lots of people with type two reflect on the fact that they've never had that compassion ever, mm -hmm. that it's just looked at as you did this to yourself. And so now it's just a focus on getting your A1C down, but there's no, no plan. Like it's just do what you got to do to get your blood sugar down. And so then you're like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. What is the path forward? And like, how do I do this? And a lot of times, like I have demo videos on injecting Ozempic mm -hmm. and I get like probably 20 comments a week that are like my primary care doctor or my nurse practitioner didn't show me how to inject it. So I had no idea how. Thanks for showing me because one, either I did it wrong or two, I was scared to do it. I thought it would hurt a lot more or three, like it's good to see somebody physically demonstrating it and actually injecting it into them so that I can see it's not this like horribly painful thing. And so it's just like there's a lack of knowledge and information a lot when it comes to that type two diagnosis. And that is so unfair for people's like mental state, but also for our health. I feel like you should get the information that you need to be able to thrive, like regardless of type. And that's not what happens. Yeah. And it's interesting that even endo, like my endo experience, it was a lot nicer in a way, but he still hit me with lose 40 pounds, cardio four to five times a week and download this app. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I just sat there and told you what I've already been doing the past five years. Cause I didn't know I was supposed to see an endo either. And you're repeating information that, hey, I've already been told. I told him straight up, I'm not downloading no damn app. I've been there, done that, not doing it again. And it all stemmed from a question of, I just want to figure out what my natural weight is supposed to be. What is the healthy weight for me to be at? I know I'm not supposed to be stickly thin. 
I know I'm not exactly where I'm supposed to be either. Like my heaviest when I was diagnosed was 215. And so I'm like, I, I recognize I shouldn't be that far, but like, where's the happy middle? And that's yeah. what led to this conversation. And the 40 pounds was like, then you won't have to worry about your diabetes. Hmm. And if you gain the weight back, then the only problem that we might run into is your diabetes is going to come back and it's going to be even stronger. And I'm like, you had so many great reviews. Yeah. And it's not like, that he didn't. We're having this conversation yeah. right now. <laughs> and I will say he was pleasant, but I was just like, A, you just said all of this to a woman. Like, mm-hmm. how often am I already told I'm too fat? And now I'm medically being told I'm too fat. Yeah. And, and I yeah. get your diabetes is going to get worse if you gain weight. Like, I'm just like, all right, doc, like, uh, it just, now he's, I give doctors three strike rules. I don't want to have male doctors often because of that very reason of, you don't tune in to the people that, like, read the room. Mm-hmm. And I get 20-minute appointments, and I try to empathize as much as I can that they don't get to spend the right amount of time with us. But I will say my new endo, who is female, she's been a lot more empathetic and compassionate, especially when my insurance was, like, fighting me on re-prescribing me something that I already had. But it was, yeah. it had switched. So they didn't have the history of what I had going on. But I think it's really interesting how, you know, he did show me how to take my shot. I will say that. I'm just shocked that, one, I get endocrinologists are in short supply. But yep. I feel like it's still up to the pri- the primary care physician, in my opinion, is like the quarterback. And you have all of your specialists. That is your lineup. And you should immediately be saying either, hey, we're going to do this base test. And then I'm going to send you to an endo to do extensive tests because you are not the only person who I've spoken to, which just also happens to be a black woman. That's, I think that, that was yeah. also what freaked me out. That was like, yeah, I was misdiagnosed as type 2. And you might want to check into that because I was like, because I was scared that yeah. if I had to be put on insulin, that meant I was bad. Yeah. And so I remember going to my primary being like, hey, I'm hearing about people with type 2 who are being misdiagnosed. They're actually type 1. and I'm just saying, Doc, like, most of them just happen to be around my same age and also black women. So, like, please talk me out of a panic attack because (laughs) I'm used to now. Me and my primary now, she's also black woman because I specifically chose her. So, like, we get it. But she's anytime that I've been running your A1C, we've been running those same labs. I was like, okay. All right. Yeah. So I didn't even know it. I think the only one is is my, uh, the insulin one wasn't always popping up. But when I switched to her. She ran everything. And then now that I'm going through my endo, they're running those same tests. Because I was like, nobody told me that there was a special test for different types. Even when I learned about Modi, especially with that Mm -hmm. potential genetic factor, I'm like, there's a test for that too? Like, why is it that when diabetes comes into the picture, we're not running everything? Yeah. Like, just run everything. Because they all have similar symptoms. We all have high blood sugars. We all have low blood sugars. We all have the thirst and the peeing all the time. And all, all of those same things happen no matter which version of it that you get. So would it not make sense to just run everything to ensure that you're treating it yeah. from jump the right way versus having to keep going back and do this? It, it, it just blows my mind of like, why does this make more sense to me than it does you? And you're the one who spent forever in a day in school because you're supposed to be so damn smart to figure this shit out like yeah and it's assumptions all of the time because even looking back like I'm like yes I was overweight at the time yes I have a family history of type 2 diabetes but you just assumed all that you tested was my a1c and my fasting blood sugar that day and 
that is one number in a giant picture. Like you can't know everything from that. And so literally my doctor said, she's fat. She's part of the population that is susceptible to diabetes. Mm. She has high blood sugar and a high A1C. So basically like it's type two and like never confirmed it, but didn't think her age doesn't really make a lot of sense for this. Or even three months into my appointments with that same doctor, okay, we haven't put you on insulin yet. And oral medication doesn't seem to be doing much for you. Let's maybe look a little deeper into that. Like it took me four years to struggle. And then to finally find a doctor who was a black woman, who I literally was like sitting crying on the table. I can't take this anymore because you have me on six oral medications and injections and I, it's not getting better. And I'm frustrated because I am exercising. I am eating 30 grams of carbs a day and I'm angry. I can't do this anymore. And then finally she said, okay, let's, I don't feel like I can do much more here and I don't want to increase any of your doses. So let's send you to somebody who's going to know more. And that is like so much humility to be able to say that, like for someone to be like, okay, I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. It's clear that something else is at play with what we're doing. So let's send you to somebody who would know more. And that's what I appreciated so much about her and not my like very first doctor who was like, I know how to manage diabetes. I see so many diabetes patients every day. And I was like, I think you're just like putting us all in the same mold and then treating us the same way, Mm -hmm. one right after the other and thinking that what's best and maybe you're just operating off of a template. (laughs) Like your patients as individuals, maybe like you should, but you know. It made me think of, what was was it, um, was it VH1 or MTV, the music diaries? You may think yeah. you know, but you have <laughs> you no <know> idea. <laughs> like all day, every day, that's what that is. And I think that's something that I even have been telling other people, even though it seems like your primary should be the quarterback, it's really, you're the, so you need to be the one to direct your medical team of what you need. And if people are telling you, they need to have them document that. Hey, yeah. okay, you need to write in my, my notes that you refuse to give me this test and half the time. I'm like, actually, I don't want that on mine. So yeah. it's it's crazy how, like, we're afraid to say something to somebody who's so highly educated and should know because I get it. We see it all over the place. I mean, look at the pandemic. We've yeah. got Google doctors everywhere who decide that because I looked at this one thing, that means that I know what this is about versus it being a unique experience for each individual. Yeah. And it's no different with any type of a chronic illness that you're diagnosed with. Is It's not the same for everybody. There are three diabetics in my family that are immediate. It's me, my mom, and my dad. And we're all on three different types of medication. One is on insulin and a GLP-1. The other one is on a combo med. I'm on a combo med and a GLP-1. Like, it's all different. And to decide that I'm just going to take this cookie cutter thing and throw it on here because it's common. And it's the thing of when you see repeated information, you get complacent. Yeah. Because it's, oh, well, it's the same. I shouldn't ever look at something with fresh eyes because it's the same thing over and over again until it's not. And yeah. it's just, if you never actually look for the differences, how would you actually know if it's the same or not? And so yeah. that is is one of the things that, that kills me. And you actually brought something up that I'm curious to hear about because you do this on a regular basis. And I know you don't always show it, but when you do, I think it sets the internet on fire. I'm ready to arm up and go right out on people's houses because I'm just like, who says this to a person? But you are a content creator and I dare to say a diabetes influencer. And so I'm curious, what's been the most difficult about sharing your diabetes journey online? Because in, in this day and age, everybody's got an opinion. And 
Hey, y'all. So really quick, I just had to pause to talk to you about a service that I've actually been using for a couple of months now. And that service is 9AM Health. And 9AM Health is a virtual diabetes clinic that has pretty much everything that you need, which makes it so easy to manage without having to leave my house. I'm talking A1C labs done from home. I'm talking medication shipped directly to your house. I'm talking having your own diabetes care specialist who's educated in nutrition and diabetes care, who helps you with all of the little things that go in between management, things like helping with food or lifestyle changes or changing certain habits. They will support you in all of that. Or if you just need somebody to talk to you because it's one of those burnout weeks, right? So 9AM Health has been super great and it's made my life a lot easier especially because it's so cheap. I don't even have to use insurance. It is so much cheaper than what I was paying with insurance. So I'm really grateful for 9AM Health and everything that they're providing in order to make someone like myself have an easier time with diabetes care management because we all know it can be really challenging, but to know that I can text, call, or send them a message on the online app in order to get support, whether that's, hey, I don't know how my medication is going or, hey, I really need to talk to somebody because it's just, I just don't want a diabetes today or being able to work with my diabetes care specialist on some of the mental blocks that I might have. It makes such a different experience because I'm being met where I'm at. And I don't know about you, but trying to take off time from work to go to the doctor, having to sit in the waiting room for 30 minutes only to meet with your doctor for five, it's just such an archaic experience, and I really feel that 9AM Health changes all of that. So would love for you to try it out. Visit 9am.health to learn more or click the link in the show notes and tell them I sent you. Ain't none of them have time, so. <laughs> it is a life of people pushing all of their opinions about what you should do and who you should be on you, especially when you have a chronic illness. And especially when people think that they know what it takes to manage or, and I am air quoting this here, cure your chronic illness. And I think the hardest, I can pinpoint like a very specific hard moment for me because I was really excited about it. And so I, when I still had my type two diagnosis, I had gotten this opportunity to share my story on Yahoo News. So huge platform, like hugely viewed everything, like just being able to share my story in that place and warn people like these are some of the warning signs of diabetes. And if you don't feel well, or if you have this like major fatigue, like it's okay to get it checked out. It's okay to go to the doctor. It's okay to say, I don't feel well and something feels off and question that. And so the reporter, like God bless her, did an amazing job on the story. And it was like, I read it and I was so happy with it. And I was like, this portrays me in a really good light. And I think that it gets across the point that like people with diabetes are trying their hardest to do everything they can to manage. And when I tell you, I, I tend not to read the comments. I really try not to. Every so often I'll read one and then one gets me and I'm like, oh, fuck no. It <laughs> was not just one comment. It was 700 comments. Oh, man. And they were all about how fat I was, how, of course, I have type 2 diabetes because look at me. Like part of it was like a video component. So there was like, I was drinking like a 
out of a jug of water and they were like, there must be Coke inside of that jug of water and not actual water. There's no way that she takes care of herself and drinks water. I mean, just the most like gut-wrenching comments, like every horror thing that you could think that somebody would say about your diabetes diagnosis, literally in the 700 comments in that video. And I actually hadn't seen it. I had only saw the article. And then I said, I'm not going to read the comments. And then my friend's cousin happened to see it on the front page of Yahoo. And then he was like, oh my God, that's Mila. Then he clicked on it and he was like, oh shit, the comments. And then he told her. So she was like, have you read the comments? And I was like, I tend not to. And she was like, maybe like this time you want to avoid it. And so then that made me want to read them because I was like, why should I avoid it? Right. I was like, oh my God, like knife in my back over and over. And it was just like, and the article's still up. Can you Google like Mila Clark Buckley, which is my uh, ex-married name and Yahoo. You can find the article. The article's great, but you can go in and you can read the comments and they are just like brutal. And it was such an example. It's what pushed me more into stigma work because like I knew that the stigma existed and I knew that people felt that way, but I had not seen it in such an open forum before. And so I did a video, actually a YouTube video about mean comments that people have said about me on the internet about diabetes. And so I pulled a lot from that article because they were, I mean, like, Somebody said that I was 700 pounds. Somebody said like, I mean, just like all kinds of stuff. I am shocked right now. I can't believe like people actually feel these things and think these things. But it just went to underscore that people don't take diabetes seriously. And they don't think one that they could ever get diabetes for any reason. But also that you have to be some certain look or shape or size to have diabetes when that's not at all true. And then also just all of the misconceptions about who gets diabetes and why and how. And so I took that moment and I was like, okay, I am never going to let another comment slide. Like I let 700 of them slide and that's enough for my lifetime. So every other comment that I see that I can respond to, that I can address, that I can take away the stigma or shame for anybody else by just like, being a real bitch, <laughs> listen, saying something right back, I'm going to do it. And so it's a nice outlet for me because I actually get to just take out my frustration on the stigmas that people will just openly say. But then on the other side of it, it feels like an educational thing because it's like somebody is not just getting the perspective of this is hurtful because of this, but they're getting the perspective of Not only is this hurtful, but it also has direct implications on the way that people with diabetes are treated and what resources we get and what technology we get and how we're viewed in a medical setting. And so it's a way to be able to show people like, this is not just like a hurt feelings thing. This is actually you contributing to a larger problem for people with diabetes. But also this is going to come back on your ass one day because (laughs) you might be in the same position. And you would never want somebody to feel that way about you or to say something like that about your condition or any other condition. Like it's not just diabetes. If you were diagnosed with any chronic condition, you would never want somebody poking fun at what's painful for you. And people do that with diabetes so often and it's horrible. And so I was like, I am literally making it my life's mission. I'm my own boss. I won't get in trouble from work if I clap back. I'm going to say whatever I want to say and make sure people know about it. And you talked about how you've seen it, like me post about it and stuff. So I will screenshot stuff and screenshot my response so people know this is how I responded to this kind of stigma. Um, And what's funny is a lot of times people will delete their comments later in their life. I didn't know. I'm like, if you don't know, don't say anything. Like, you don't have to be rude. Listen, (laughs) I don't make it make sense. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, ask a question. I'm literally here. Like, 
you don't have to insult me and then roll it back and be like, well, I didn't know. And you can just flat out ask a question. If you had a question about something you didn't know, it's okay to say, I don't know. And I want to know more. And then have the dialogue instead of just being like, I'm going to say this really stigmatizing thing to you that probably other people in their circle or in their family see them saying, and then it's you feel that way about them too. I might just be some stranger on the internet to you, but somebody that personally probably has diabetes and then you've said this really horrific thing and that's unfair and shows that you can't handle just like understanding basic information about a disease. And that's something that I am so curious about and still digging into a lot is like where this negative perception of diabetes comes from because it is so stigmatized in a way that I don't feel like other chronic illnesses are. Like, I think that they're, like people talk crap about any health condition. I think like all of them, I think get their fair share, but diet, no more than diabetes. I feel like diabetes is constantly the butt of a joke. Like you don't hear people joking about like psoriasis or cancer or I don't know, chronic fatigue or arthritis. Like people aren't throwing jokes out there. Oh, your joints are stiff today. Like must have arthritis because it's not funny. There's nothing funny about it. And so I, when I see a joke about diabetes or I see someone saying, oh, I'm going to drink this like super sugary coffee today and I'm going to get diabetes. That is not funny to me. I'm like, can you explain why that's funny? Can right. you tell me why that is a joke? And people can't usually. And so it it makes me wonder where that came from and why it's become the butt of a joke. I think one of my like proudest moments too of addressing stigma is that there was, I wish I could remember the comedian and I'll have to go back and find the post at some point, but there was a comedian who did like a whole entire special and he did this joke about coming to Texas. And I was like, oh, cute. Okay, it's going to be like a jab at Texans joke. So he says he like comes to Texas. He goes to a diner and he asks for a side of diabetes with his waffles. And I was like, damn it. I thought this was going to be a joke about Texans being dumb. Or right. Like, you no, know, whatever. And then I was like, it had to be a diabetes joke, of course. So not only did he make this joke and did it appear in like a clip from his stand-up special on YouTube, he also made a graphic or his team made a graphic with the joke on it, specifically with it says it. And I have a screenshot of it somewhere. And so I, of course, I pulled a screenshot because I was like, I, th I'm going to do everything I can to incite some conversation around this so that it gets deleted. And so eventually it did get deleted. I made like a YouTube video about it and why that comment was incorrect. And I retweeted it like 20 times. Mm -hmm. like, I, because I was like, this is showing up in mainstream pop culture and that's not fair to people right. with diabetes. You are literally perpetuating a myth that is untrue, which makes your joke not funny because it's not true. So it was just, it was really interesting to see like the response to that and then see how people on Twitter kind of caught on to it and then started sharing about it and started retweeting it. And then eventually he deleted his joke, which I was very proud of. I was like, I think. I can take credit for starting that. It's a but for the culture. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't like to bring on like the torches a lot, but there are some instances where I'm like, this is just so not cool. And if you don't address it and you don't like, and then you keep making those jokes, obviously that was the joke in your head. So much so that like, you put it in a clip on YouTube and you made a graphic for it. You thought that joke was funny and then it's not. And so that's the kind of stuff I like to do with my spare time. <laughs> 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 Addressing stigma. 
is making comedians delete their bad diabetes takes <laughs> and removing them from the internet forever. You know, it's crazy because I didn't realize that it was happening around me until after my diagnosis of, oh yeah, someone just sit, sat down a big old plate of diabetes in front of me. And I think part of it is I didn't tell a lot of people at the very beginning. And and even now, like the friends that I make, it's so second nature to me. So like when I'm scanning my arm or something like that, it's just, what's that? What are you doing? Because I'm not, my arms aren't always out. So it's it's always interesting when that happens. And even my closer friend group, there's a couple where it's, I let them slide because I don't talk about it or interact with it or deal with it all the time. And one of them, she is a respiratory therapist. So like, I remember we went to friends like birthday pool party and she saw it on my arm. She's, I'm so glad that you have one of those. I'm like, me too. It's like a bitch and I have to get <laughs> so I'm really glad that I have one. And my partner has uh, access to the app on his phone. So he even gets in my ass when I don't. So like his birthday was uh, last weekend and no Super Bowl weekend. I got really fucked up and I didn't plan on it. I did not plan on it at all. <laughs> and he was nervous because I didn't have my manual meter out because I still had to pick up my new sensors. And he was like, I need you to put this somewhere easily accessible for me. Because I didn't know if you were just genuinely drunk or if you were having a low. Because it came on so fast that yeah. I didn't know what to do. And I had to keep checking on you, make sure you're breathing, all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, when I'm out, I go to sleep. So that's half of yeah. what you'll see me do. I'm going to pass on the car. So time to go night-night. <laughs> all my legs are going to stop working. I just want to go sleep. And in those moments, like, that's where I'm like, ah, should I let them slide like that? Because I'm sitting right here. But because it's still new information for them, because I wasn't advertising it that heavily around them all the time. Yeah. And I would always, like, excuse myself for like, out of bars or whatever. Like, hey, I'm going to grab something. I'll catch up with y'all. We're definitely a very independent friend group. We're like, we don't have to be joined at the hip. Like, <laughs> I'll meet you over here kind of thing. But it's always interesting when it happens. And when uh, mine that gets me is when they add the, I don't know if it's a, it's just a country accent. Or I think some, it came out of some TV show where it's like, God beat us. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, what, what is that? And why is that a thing? It's, it ends in ES. Where is the US coming from? So they'll do that. And I'm just like, and there've been even a couple of times on my Twitch stream where like one of them was on. And if I was in, in the chat and like, I know streaming, I was like, that's not how that works. Y'all know that. And I'll just do it like that. Because like you said, I, where the hell is this coming from? Who's coming up with this? Did, did some OG people living with diabetes in this society, like, we just going to rip on our own disease and just spread it out? And like, wildfire. Well, there was an episode of Family Guy where it was about dirty jokes, and there was this whole society that got together, a group of people, secret society, that got together to create the dirty jokes and send them out. I, is that, I feel like that's what's happening. Somebody, somewhere. The diabetes jokes, that's exactly what happened underground. Somewhere. I I just, I don't know. I think about it so often because it's not only like just the dumb jokes that people make, but it's also like the healthcare system. There was a discussion on Twitter the other day about being hospitalized with diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I personally have never been hospitalized while I've had diabetes. And so I didn't know this, but a lot of people said that they feel like they go through some medical abuse because their pumps or CGMs are taken away and they're not allowed to dose insulin for themselves or the nurse or doctor has to stand in the room and watch them take the amount of units that they're taking. The food that they're given, it's not like uh, helpful in terms of carb counts. And so they might be on an insulin drip and the nurse team isn't giving them enough insulin for a 60 gram of carb meal, even though it's the diabetic meal in the hospital. And so it's, or there was a TikTok where 
it was a nurse who said, if I have to just give one unit of insulin for a correction, I don't do it because it's a hassle for me to have to go and to just give one unit of insulin. So I'll just say that the patient declines. Like they admitted to doing that. And so I was thinking the other day, I was like, if a practitioner, like a, a clinician, literally can think that diabetes is not that serious, when you're in a hospital bed and you are at the point where you might not be able to care for yourself in the best way and they are supposed to be taking care of you, but they think, oh, if I have to just give one unit of insulin, I'm not going to do that. I don't like giving myself one unit of insulin for some cheese and coffee, but I do it because I know if it's going to stabilize my blood sugar, it's going to make sure that I'm in proper range and I'm not going to just like skip it because it's, oh, it's just one unit. Like your body needs what your body needs. So I think about that a lot. I'm like, if it's like the jokes are like, okay, fine. Like someone on Twitter can write a stupid joke and whatever. But like when it bleeds over into the medical setting and it's like life or death for you, that's when it's okay, this isn't funny anymore. And those jokes, like, I mean, they're just pervasive. Like I saw, actually, there's another thing I saw the other day because I I have an eagle eye for these things. Like (laughs) as soon as I see them, I'm like, oh, hell no. And I'm like ready. And so I saw one the other day. It was this like nurse Instagram repost page And it was one of those overhang shoe organizers and it was hung over a door and then it had a bunch of Halloween candy in each of the pockets instead of shoes. And then somebody, I think the caption for it was like, you won't need shoes once your foot is amputated from eating all the candy. What the fuck? What? Of that nature. I'll send it to you because I screenshot everything. And so I saw that and I was like, this is literally on a nurse repost page or whatever. People are liking this post. Like this post has hundreds of likes, which if it's a nurse repost page, they're probably all nurses. And so I'm like, if you guys think that shit is funny, like how do you treat your patients when they're actually sitting in front of you? And right. What are you doing to ruin their health? Because if you can look at that and you can say that's a funny joke and you don't have the like wherewithal in your brain to be like, that's not okay. We shouldn't be joking about this things. Like there are, I'm sure, nurse jokes that are funny, but again, like joking about someone's chronic condition is not funny. And so there are actually, I take that, I take that, I roll that back a little bit. There are some really funny diabetes jokes, but they're made by people with diabetes. Right. And they're like, It's memes about like our pumps or CGMs like going crazy or about what it's like to do MDI or what it's like for someone to spend the night at your house when your glucose alarms are blaring. Like, yeah, it's stuff that's like in jest and not stuff that spreads misinformation about what it's like to live with diabetes. So just seeing stuff like that, especially on like healthcare professional pages or like hearing those stories about people being in the hospital and having their tools taken away and like being told the hospital is going to manage you, but then they decide that they're not going to manage you in the way you need to be managed. Like that kind of stuff is so jarring because it's like that all comes from stigma and misconceptions about diabetes. And it's literally a life or death situation. And I have one more story. This uh, person told me this on Twitter when I talked about being in the hospital setting and they had mentioned that they were type one And if you have type 1 diabetes, like you need a base level of insulin, at least like you also need mealtime boluses or like injections, but your basal rate is what just stabilizes you and keeps you alive. And they did not even give him his basal insulin. So he was in the hospital for days and like half of the time he was in the hospital, 
he did not have his basal insulin given to him. And so his blood sugar spiked really high. He was developing ketones and like eventually like he was scared he was going to go into diabetic ketoacidosis. So he was like, I don't know what to do to advocate for myself here because I'm telling them this is what I need and they're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And I literally feel like I'm going to die. And what else am I able to do? They're not taking me seriously. And so I feel like that's also like a part of the misconceptions. They're just like, "Mm, you're fine. You're diabetic. You don't need it. You just need it when you eat or you just need it at this time. And like, we'll just do whatever. And there's not like a standard of practice that ensures that like patients get what they need or are able to just manage themselves. If you are awake and you're alive and you like have all your wits about you, why can't you manage your own insulin dosing? That should be. Do it every single day of your life, but it changes when you're laying in a hospital bed. So I just think of things like that and I'm like, the stigma is like so pervasive and it seems like it's like cute and a joke, but it's not. It's It's like very serious. So. Okay. I don't even know where to start. I'm going to touch the nurse thing and then I'll move on because my brain is about to explode right now because (laughs) what? So I'm all for dark humor, but I recognize that there's a time and a place and what I don't do is advertise said dark humor on all of social media Mm -hmm. because the thing that we are notoriously good for with our attention spans and our trained ADHD, in my opinion, I really do have ADHD, but It's trained even more with social media is that if you have zero context of being a nurse, having diabetes, and then you taking the two and advertising that, oh, it's funny to joke about losing a foot and you can have all this candy. There's no amount of it's a joke. Only nurses will get. Well, then just do do it at home. I wouldn't even be doing it in your hospital. That's dumb in itself. Your hospital could come back and be like. Nah, do you not see what happens to people who do dumb shit at work on social media? Like, you can't even go to Victoria's Secret without bullshit going down. You know what I mean? Like, so the fact that they're doing this, saying that it's okay, and you're a medical professional, and then sharing it online for good, for for the likes. Yeah, for the cloud. Like, all it is. It's not okay. And that leads to somebody, because I had this happen with my my allergist one time, and he, he wasn't making fun of me, but there was a, at the time, there was a lot of the civil unrest around the black community and all the stuff like that, things that's been going on with us and the police and all that stuff like that. So he gently brings it up. I know there's a lot going on in the world. Are you okay? Honestly. Mm -hmm. But I think the concept still translates is the stuff that circulates online will show up in the places that it's targeting. So if I go to the hospital or to the ER and like you said, I got my wits about me, but I say, I do have Uh, type 2 diabetes, to have somebody potentially rip my CGM off or say you need to take it off and I can't get another refill until those two weeks are up and I can't call Freestyle and be like, can you send me another one? There's nothing wrong with it. They just made me take it off. There's All of those things translate. And so I think that's the part that's really frustrating is like, when people are like, oh, you just can't take a joke. You just can't. I laugh at some of the darkest shit you could ever imagine by myself or with a trusted person. I am not out here sharing that because if no one is going to take the time to get the context from me, then that leaves the door open for you to go and repeat that elsewhere. And we see that same behavior happen in all forms. Somebody yeah. decided, people that look like us, we're weird. 
So yep. let's isolate them and let's do all of these things to prevent them to have all these things. If you don't want to bring race into it, because everybody just hates when that comes in, we have vaginas. So mm-hmm. apparently to the ones with penises, that's weird. And they should police what we do. It, it never fails that if you don't have context, somebody's going to take it and run with it. And that could be somebody's life. That's a danger. Yeah. Um, I did yeah. hear about one person being hospitalized and it wasn't that the nurse wasn't willing to help. It was that she was about to just give them insulin just because he said diabetes. Mm-hmm. And he didn't need it. It's like, and like without asking, also dangerous. Because but- if you don't know how to give me the right amount, and I think people don't get that sometimes, especially those who are insulin dependent, it yeah. can just as easily kill you as it does help you because you're having to manually do it. You don't have the same regulatory systems in order to make sure you're getting enough. And that is the part that I think really baffles me. Like you said, if I'm doing this all the time and I'm coherent and able to make decisions for myself, why wouldn't you keep the pump on? That's less work for you to do. It's already yeah. queued up to their body. To how, why wouldn't you let them do that? Exactly. And if you have to stand or there, fine. I can tell you what I'm doing or let me call somebody who can help me manage it. Yeah. Let me call somebody who knows what this is supposed to be like. And then if you're uncomfortable with me managing it myself because I'm here in the hospital, maybe just let somebody else who knows how to do it for me. And then you can have that conversation with them if there's like a discomfort or you feel like there's even like a liability or whatever. Yeah, call me in though. Shit. Like we're supposed to have all of our medical team's numbers, but you won't let us reach out to them. Yeah, it's crazy. I I think about it all the time. I'm just like, man, I hope knock on all the wood that I never have to be hospitalized for anything, like not just anything diabetes related, anything. Yeah. Because I, from the stories I've heard, would be so afraid to say I have diabetes, and especially having LADA. Like people already don't think that LADA is real. I get that comment all the time. No, like, it's super fascinating. Type 2. So what is LADA? That's not real. I've never heard of that. And so I'm like, okay, well, here's 10 articles from Medical Times Today, Healthline. <laughs> Like WebMD that say this is a real thing just because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it's not real or it doesn't exist. Listen, that's like another thing. Like I know if I ever walked into a hospital setting and I said I have latent autoimmune diabetes in adults, they would just look at me like, what is that? We got to walk in with a whole an emergency binder. Yeah. That's what we got put together, an emergency binder. Mm-hmm. Here are the people to call. I am coherent. If I hand you this binder, I am coherent at, the, at this. Here's a log book. Right. Yes. Of the time and date that I'm coherent in handing this to you. Please call these people first. I will refuse all everything. Here's my legal representation. Like, I just feel like you have to have all of that in place just to get some help from the people that are supposed to help you. Man. Yeah, which is so sad. And then you think about people who like I can tell that you're probably just like me, very persistent, will hound somebody to get what you need. But for people who don't have that persistence or don't have the resources to have that persistence or just are like, I give up. I don't care. Kill me. Fine. But I feel for people like that because it's like they never get what they need. And then it puts them in a really vulnerable position. And that's also a huge problem because you shouldn't walk into a healthcare provider's like place and ever feel like you're not going to get the care that you need. Like you're paying for it. You're paying a lot of money for it. Like you should get exactly what you ask for and they should be working with you as much as possible to make sure that you have the best outcome and you can get out of there as fast as possible.
We're going to put a pin there because I have plenty of friends in the medical field and the trusted ones. But, you know, it's like when I saw the movie Get Out and it's just, I need to stay away from some of my uh, lighter complected friends just for a little. I just need to come down because I'm going to have a reflex. And, Let me have uh, this <laughs> I'm going to have a reflex and uh, accidentally assault you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm batshit crazy, though. I know that about myself. That's why I'm like, God, this is not the moment to be in my reaching vicinity. You might want to just go ahead and fly back. Let me be for a second. So I want to fast forward to something a bit more light because we know that stigma is so heavy. We have a lot of work to do and it, it can get dark fast yeah. in that sense. So for sure, I'm just going to cue in, make sure your mental health is, is in check because it's a lot and, and it can weigh on you. But one thing that I absolutely love about your content is you are also a chef. In my opinion, I don't know if you certified and like that, but you put together some of the most amazing recipes. I thought about creating a little coffee something. I didn't have all the right tools. It wouldn't have looked right. But I definitely thought about you because you and my one of my other best friends love their Nespresso machine and yes. their, their caffeine and all that stuff like that. And something that I enjoy about your content is you travel and you go and enjoy food. And that is something that was a little bit depressing for me with diabetes early on. It's just like, why can't, like, I, I'm, I grew up in a black and Thai household, eating lava on one end and having all the grease and salt that I could ever stand on the other end. And yeah. it's so hard when you encounter an illness that is food driven and you're just like, I can't go nowhere. Or I can't go out. To, I didn't go out to eat for the longest because I was ashamed that my friends were going to get tired of me being like, oh, I can't eat there. Or, yeah. mm, I'll go, but I won't be eating anything and doing these kind of behaviors because I thought that I just couldn't enjoy food. And you have completely turned the head on that by not only making it yourself in some instances, but you go to different places, you travel all over the world and experience those things. And so how do you do that without feeling bothered by your, because it's, and you're also having to take insulin. And that's one thing I think that just I, I have to actively think about if I ever came to an insulin point of not being afraid of because it's the math for me. The math is hard. I don't do math. It was never my strong suit unless it's money. I don't know. But <laughs> like I can't wrap my head around. I have got to do quick uh, uh, math in my head because if I do it wrong, I could hurt myself. So how on earth do you do this? Teach me your way. And I will say to that point, I literally have an iPhone note in my phone that it's like a corrections note. So it's if your blood sugar is between this and this, take this number of insulin. If your blood sugar is between this and this, take this number of insulin because I can never remember how to correct if I like misdose. But then also it's just, I mean, it's easy math. Luckily, it's just like addition and subtraction, like nothing too crazy. But I think in the beginning that I was so sick of feeling like shit about food. And I, I had mentioned earlier, I'd gotten to a point where I was eating like 30 grams of carbs a day and I was pissed off all the time and I was hungry. And I wasn't fulfilled or satisfied. And I was like, I just want to love and enjoy food. Because previously, like even before diabetes, I had an eating disorder. And so it, for me, was really hard to enjoy food in general. And then when I was told, okay, well, you have this disease where food is literally the center of your life and you have to count and understand every single morsel of food that you eat was incredibly triggering for me. Mm -hmm. But then also the side of it where it was like, you also have to restrict, like now you can't eat certain amounts of this kind of food. And so that was all very hard for me to deal with in the beginning. And after a lot of therapy and a lot of 
figuring out where I was going to find the balance and seeing a dietitian and actually like my first run in with a dietitian, also like probably the worst appointment I'd ever had <laughs> with diabetes. But I eventually met someone who was very cool and made it a lot easier for me. But after a lot of time, I finally was like, you know what, the thing that it comes down to is knowledge of what's in your food, knowledge of measurements and portions, what portions look like and feel like. I have this fun party trick where my particular palm size or like fists, like if I grab something, it equals a quarter cup every single time. That's wow. just like my little hand size. And so literally I'll grab like a handful of nuts and I'm like, I know this is a quarter cup and I'll drop it into a measuring cup and it's exactly even. So it's like things like that, like learning little tools over time that could help me figure out, okay, I can learn a serving size visually this way, or I can buy a food scale and I can learn this is how much, if I pour this much oat milk into a container, this is actually how much it is and how much it weighs and what the portion looks like. And then also over time, like my friends joke that I'm like a carb encyclopedia because I can look at foods and be like, okay, what's the portion size for that? And then they'll be like, it's one cup. And I'm like, okay, well, that has probably 39 grams of carbs in it. And then they'll look and they're like, how did you know that? Like, how did you figure that out? And so over time, it just becomes routine and it becomes simpler to do that math in your head and then also figure out like, what ways can you put your food together that make it satisfying, that make it flavorful, that make it delicious, but still think about those guidelines specifically for diabetes, which are like making sure things are low in saturated fat, but like three carb servings, which is like 45 grams of carbs is the typical amount of carbs per meal that you, sh I don't want to say shouldn't go beyond, but that like your blood sugars are going to be pretty stable if you're eating around that much and you may not have to do a whole lot extra unless you do have to bolus like I do. So I think it's learning what your body can tolerate and then also just experimentation. Like I learned that if I actually I did this video on what different types of foods do to your blood sugars. And so I did one on oatmeal and it was like plain steel cut oats and I added strawberries and cinnamon to it or something. I love steel cut oats. Yes, me too. And they're a great food. They are higher in carbs. Of course, it's like 45 grams of carbs for two thirds of a cup of oats. And then if you add oat milk or whatever, like a little bit more. But people on the video were like, you're a terrible diabetic. I can't believe you're eating oatmeal. I can't believe that you would suggest this as a good breakfast for someone. And I started laughing because I was like, you're only looking at the carbohydrate count and not the overall benefits of that food, which is that it's heart healthy. It has tons of fiber and it's filling. It is delicious. You can make it in a thousand different ways. You don't have to do it the same way every single time. And so it's it's so funny because they're, especially now with like keto and low carb diets, like they work, but you're eliminating an entire macro from your diet, which to me personally, like I don't knock anybody who does low carb or keto, Same. but for me, when I tried to do it, it wasn't sustainable for mm -hmm. me. Like it would make me binge on the other end because I would be like, now I want like a whole baguette because I haven't had bread in two weeks or whatever. And so I think that it's finding that balance, but also being conscious that like the carb isn't the only piece of information that matters about food. It's all of the other things that make it great. I saw a comment the other day, like vilifying strawberries. And I was like, strawberries have vitamins and minerals and water and like they're lower carb in terms of fruit. So they're actually like 
great for you. But like, why are we being like strawberries are too high carb now? Because if that was the case, you can't eat anything. Everything has carbs. Right. Unless it's like pure fat or like pure protein. But I was just like, this is wild to me. Like the ways that people have now been like, carbs are the enemy and it's, it's not that way. And so that's what I try to really balance out when I share food and kind of answer people's questions. You mentioned my coffee videos. I make coffee with like full sugar syrups all the time. And people are like, how are you able to eat that? How are you able to do that? And I'm like, because I balanced out the portion instead of doing a one ounce pour of a full cane sugar syrup, which is like 30 grams of carbs, I halved it or I quartered it or I split it and used half sugar-free syrup and half this syrup. Like, I'm always tinkering and testing to make sure that I can come up with something that is going to be blood sugar friendly for me, but also at the same time, really enjoyable because at the end of the day, like food is such a center position in our lives. Like it, we come together around food so much. It's like something that we all constantly think about. Everybody thinks about what am I going to eat today? What am I going to, am I going to drink coffee today? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? And I think it's really important to have a positive feeling around food, but also recognize that you don't always have to sacrifice to have a good outcome. Like you can still enjoy the things that you want to enjoy. You just have to have a strategy around how you're going to do it. And that is mentally taxing and so exhausting because having a plan around every single thing that you eat is really hard because sometimes you just want to be, I just want to drive to McDonald's (laughs) and get like a A basket of fries and a chicken nugget. <laughs> let it be what it's going to be. And you can't always do that. But I think that you can figure out the best ways to enjoy without restricting and without putting yourself in a position where food gives you anxiety. Yeah. Um, but also it's okay to have that anxiety too. Yesterday was a prime example for me. I worked all day through lunch. Like I had uh, cereal and coffee for breakfast, which cereal, not great, but I bolus properly. So my blood sugars were fine. And then I worked all the way through lunch. And then by the time I looked up, it was dark outside and 730. And I was like, oh, damn, I did not eat for like this whole day. And I checked my blood sugars and they were perfect. And that brought me a little bit of horror because I was like, damn, like this reinforces the fact that if I don't eat, my blood sugars are going to be great. And I'm hungry right now and I want to eat dinner, but now I'm scared because I feel like my blood sugars are going to go out of range and out of whack. And I've literally just proven to myself, like through my body (laughs) and my CGM data, that this is the outcome. And this is what happens if I don't eat food. Like my blood sugars are perfect. They're in green. They are a straight line across. And that to me was so difficult to reconcile. This happened to me yesterday, actually. And I was like, I just don't like that. I know that I have to eat something, but I don't like looking at my data and being like, this makes me happy because I'm literally looking at 100 on my screen, like perfect blood sugar number. But then on the other side of it, I'm like, I had like cinnamon toast crunch and coffee today and that's all that I ate. So that's not good either. So I think like it's reconciling all of that together. It's what do you enjoy and then figuring out the best ways to enjoy that. Maybe it's a smaller portion and you increase the amount of protein, you lower the amount of carb, increase the amount of fat, and then rebalance everything. Or you think about the fact that sometimes your blood sugars are going to be great when you did the wrong thing. And then you have to deal with that and figure out, okay, what am I going to do next time to make sure that I'm not in this same position? And like, how can I change it? 
So I think about that all the time with food. Like I find so much joy around food now and I get so happy when I get to like cook anything or make anything or reframe recipes. Like I'm writing a cookbook and it's called Healthy Twists on Recipes You Miss. And so it's recipes that people with diabetes are told that they can't eat. It's, it's really cool, actually. I crowdsourced a lot of the ideas from my audience yeah. because I asked them, like, what are things that you were told that you couldn't have anymore when you were given your diabetes diagnosis? And so people were saying, like, somebody told me I could never have French fries anymore. Somebody told me I could never have mashed potatoes. I couldn't have mac and cheese. I couldn't eat, like, soft caramels. I couldn't, like, it was like all of these things. And I was like, man, there are so many easy ways to make healthy swaps for all of these things that actually work really well and are easy to replicate at home. You don't need like a ton of fancy tools to do. And you end up with a good outcome that tastes almost exactly the same as the thing that you're missing. And so I love reframing recipes in that way, making them over into, okay, you thought that you couldn't have this, but actually if you prepare it a little bit differently and then you pair it with other foods, it balances itself out. And so that's usually how I go into thinking about food is I want to retain the essence of this thing. Like mac and cheese is mac and cheese. It's always going to be mac and cheese. Like you're never going to get around spiking your blood sugar for some mac and cheese or mashed potatoes or whatever. But you can think of creative ways around it that still give you what you want. But then at the same time, you get the outcome with your blood sugars that you're looking for. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I'm appreciating about some of the wellness space folks that I've been introduced to is that same for me, keto was not it for me. I tried it and honestly, the excess amount of fat set my numbers through the roof. It just wasn't working for me. But the balance, when you were talking about oatmeal, there's actually a good friend of mine and company, Oat of the Ordinary, who puts together, basically they're trying to replace instant oatmeal. And they not only have, I think they use rolled oats, but they have chia seeds and, and they make sure there's a good amount of protein. And I'm like, how do you get the protein in there? Because every time I tried to mix protein powder in there, it coagulates yeah. and it gets all a big mess and then it's gross and gritty. I'm like, they found a way to put it all together, knowing that, hey, yes, you're about to eat about 30 grams of carbs, but it's not going to spike you. It's not going to send you crashing. It's going to keep you even and you can still add to it. And so it's, I don't understand the, the food police of like, how do you can't do that? When it's like, you might not be able to do that. I can't. And I think that's where I really wish CGMs were one of the first tools that we were given instead of saying, oh, insurance is only going to cover it if you only poke yourself once a day. And if the goal in being diagnosed is to manage better, why would the advanced tools not be given to help manage better? And to, I mean, I know I I halfway know the answer to it, but like it's the make it make sense piece of the excuses that insurance and stuff gives. You want to keep us in rotation so you can keep making money. I get it. Us being sick and nearly dead literally makes you money. Sad, but those tools are helpful. So when I see that I'm spiking what I had a unique shake yesterday, but I also had a small portion of grits because I love grits with some egg in it (laughs) and it went up. And I thought about the reel that you made where your alarm going off and you just like, well, I guess you're just going to sit there because <laughs> here I go. But I was like, that's okay because I get the grits is what was sending me, but I did have some egg in it. And then I also had that shake, which has a lot of fiber and all the things that I need. And I did the full portion of it and I probably could have yeah. just halved it, but. Which is it, a lot. It yeah. Yo, it's a lot. I'd be like, dang, my little blend jet is like another packet. Jeez. <laughs> but, but it's one of those things where like, you have to play with what works for you and you have to be able to be willing to test those things. And I always remember, 
okay, protein, fat, fiber. Keep those three involved in whatever that I'm eating. And especially if I can get some greens, which is going to give me most of my fiber boost. But if it can be greens, great. So when I go out to eat or if I know where we're going, I'm looking at the menu. Yeah. What are some of the substitutions that I can do here? What are some of the things that well, maybe it's asking them to swap the oil? Apparently yeah. oil is one of the things that are also really bad. And I love greasy Chinese food, so I don't know how to fix that. But it's one of those things where you, you just pick up things to learn. And even with yeah. cocktails, I'll get a cocktail every now and then. But for the most part, I'm straight. Give me the whiskey neat. Cool. Or the gin and soda or something like that. Because I recognize that drinking all that sugary stuff is going to send me skyrocketing. And some, to a degree, you... I didn't realize how trained my palate was until I started having the stuff that I used to have. I had, I had a Taco Bell moment like a couple months ago. And half the reason why I even go to Taco Bell is for that Mountain Dew Baja Blast because it ain't nowhere else and they're disrespectful by not rotating nowhere else so I can just have my small fix. So I have to go eat some shitty-ass Taco Bell in order to get my Baja Blast. Yeah. And it's funny because one time I ordered it to come to the house and I didn't know that they had a sugar-free version. I was like, bet, let me get that. Apparently they didn't have it at this Taco Bell, so I just got the regular one. And as much as I love the flavor, I took two sips and I was like, oh. Yeah. Jesus. It is so sweet. Because your body is like, woo, woo. Yo, we ain't had this much crack in our system since back in the old days of eating tricks every morning for breakfast, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> that's all that it is. And it's, I never, my first trip to New Orleans back last July, but I did have my CGM, the humidity girl caused my CGM to come off in the first bar that we hit. Okay, the same thing happened <laughs> to me. I went to New Orleans last year and I think it was maybe August. So it was swampy. Mm -hmm. I used to swampy because like Houston. Oh, yeah. I tell you the minute that I got out of the car, my CGM. Yeah, it, it was like, I'm done. We I drove in, changed clothes and everything. Now, I did have like, a little jacket thingy on. So I think that was part of what helped it. But we yeah. get into this bar that a live band. It was great. We're like, we finally made it. We're here. It's not even like super hot outside because it was overcast. It rained a little bit. We went 4th of July weekend last year. And I didn't even feel it come off. I look down and I see this little white round thing. And I'm like, son of a bitch, is that mine? And I pick it out. I was like, well. But I was smart and I did care. I, I've started carrying as best I can my manual meter on me sometimes just in case. But. I looked at my partner and I was like, I need to breathe a spare. So I guess we just, we go back to the finger pricks. And I, he was diligent about, hey, go and check because he knew it's vacation time. But I didn't let it stop me because it's just like one of those things where one of the guests that I spoke with the other day, she talks really good about just finding this harmony with your body. And the more that you fight something that can't really control, I feel like diabetes is literally like trying to fight the ocean. Yeah. But... You can ride the waves in the ocean, right? You can use different tools and, and vehicles to navigate the ocean. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of us have to come to that terms with. So it's like, why would I restrict myself from something when it just requires a couple of tools? Maybe I need a better boat or, or a life draft or whatever to get through this because it ain't going nowhere. If the ocean disappeared tomorrow, I'd freak the fuck out, first of all. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's not something that immediately goes away. It's always going to be there in some regard. Even if you're off all the medication, you still have to think through that. And I think what and you too, like another thing, people think it's all or nothing. Like, yeah. It's like you have to either cut all carbs or you can't have anything or you have to give up this entire food group and that's just the way that you have to live your life now. And it's not like that. Yeah. And I think that it's maybe 
easier sometimes for people to think in the all or nothing terms because it's okay. Then now I have this list of rules and guidelines and I know that I can do this and I can't do this. And, but it's, there's the flexibility in the middle if you're creative enough and if you're willing to take the time to experiment and figure out what works for you. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing situation and you can still find ways to enjoy what you enjoy. It might be a little different than it used to be, but you still figure it out along the way. And it's a lot of trial and error. Like sometimes it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to, and that's okay. Sometimes the alarm just go off and you're just going to be like, well, I'm going to go drown myself in some water and let me go sit on this Peloton bike for a little bit. And that's all she wrote. So my last question for you is, I really would love for you to share what's been one of your biggest lessons that you've learned uh, when it comes to others telling you how you manage your diabetes and what advice would you give to somebody when they come up against that? I think the biggest thing that I learned and the advice are one and the same, and it's to push back. It's to not let somebody dictate how you live your life because they think they know better because they don't at the end of the day. Your body, what you can tolerate and what you can't, you know how to live with autonomy and it's not fair to you for other people to push their stigmas or their judgments or their misconceptions on you because they feel like they might know better than you. Because I think people automatically assume when you have diabetes, that you don't know how to take care of your body. You don't know how to handle your health. And so somebody may look at you and say, I think I can tell you how to do this a little bit better. And the truth is that like nobody knows any better than you do. But I think it's also okay to correct those misconceptions and to correct somebody who food polices your plate or to say, I'm not comfortable with having this conversation with you. You don't have to answer to anybody about your health. You have to answer to yourself and sometimes your doctors at some point because your labs are going to tell the whole story. But I think that it's nobody else's business if you don't want it to be. But it's okay to say, this conversation isn't the right conversation to be having with me. And either one, I don't want to have it. Or two, that's actually wrong. And let me tell you why it's wrong. And go through the steps of identifying those misconceptions for them. I've found in addressing it a lot of times is people just don't know. And they ask a question or they say something because they weren't aware. My best friend, her name's Katie. Everybody always sees her all over my stuff. We've been friends since we were in sixth grade. She has seen my whole entire life before diabetes and then now with diabetes. And so at first she used to ask like the dumbest questions and I'm so sorry to her. I love her so much, but she used to ask like the dumbest questions about, can you eat that? And oh, I made these sugar-free cookies for you. And I was like, I can have an actual cookie. It's fine. I can't have 10 actual cookies, but if I have one, it's fine. Or like when I started taking insulin and I don't think these questions were dumb at all, but she was like, why do you have to do that? And how much do you have to take? And how do you dose for it? And like now she's the person that watches over my CGM data and like texts me at two in the morning and you're you're low bitch, go eat some candy. And I think a lot of that was just education. She didn't really know anything about diabetes before that. Like she had a family member with diabetes, but it wasn't somebody who was close to her. So she didn't have a person like adjacent to be like, let me ask you these questions and let me learn more about it. And so our conversations were never adversarial. They were always like, let me teach you this thing. Or you said that and it bothered me. And here's why it's, you know, wrong. Or here's the misconception that you said in this comment. And so over time, now she's like a diabetes expert and she can literally like talk to anybody and they'll say something about diabetes. And she's like, actually, okay, that's completely wrong. And let me tell you why. 
and will break it down better than I can sometimes. And I think that's just the power of educating people. Like we get embarrassed, I think, when somebody comes at us with something that seems stigmatizing or seems like it reduces our value in some way because it makes it seem like we are not doing the right things. And oftentimes it's more just that they don't know what to say and they just need that little piece of information that's going to help them have a better interaction the next time with you or with somebody else. Yeah. So if I had to wrap that up into a nice little bow, it's have the conversations with people. Like you don't have to out yourself and say, I have diabetes. If you don't want to, you don't have to like have those conversations. You are allowed to keep it to yourself. But if you ever feel the comfort and you feel like you can talk to somebody about the stigmas and misconceptions, especially if they come directly at you, say it and you're better for it. Like you're educating somebody who's going to then be able to talk to the next person about it. And it helps get the ball rolling in the positive direction instead of spreading more misinformation about the illness. Yeah. But if you come at me with all caps and exclamation points, it's on. (laughs) I have my people Google searching, detective sleuthing, finding out where you live. Yeah. I wasn't. Uh. Yo, Mila, this has been so insightful, so helpful. I I truly feel anyone who hears, listens back to this is going to gain so much from it because the hard parts of diabetes is difficult because not everybody wants to turn the eyes on themselves when they're having a hard time. But you've been so great at just not only showing the good stuff, but the hard stuff as well and being open and talking about it. So thank you so much uh, for everything that you're doing for us. Because again, you helped me and you didn't even know I existed back in 2016. So please know it's appreciated. How can people keep up with you? You mentioned a cookbook. When can we get our hands on it? And if people want to get in touch, what do we do? Yeah, cookbook is on deck for this summer. So I'm not giving you an exact date because deadlines and life, but just look for it in the summer. And um, you can find me at The Hangry Woman on everything, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I do have a TikTok, but it's not that great. It should be better. And yeah, if you just search The Hangry Woman, like I'll come up, you'll find me. And also, just so you know, if you ever don't want to have the stigma conversation with someone, you can send them directly to my Instagram and I will handle them for you. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> I love it. So love having that conversation. Or if you ever just feel like you need to vent, send me a message. People do it all the time. They'll send me a message in their like day of frustration. And if you need a pat on the back, I'm also happy to do that too. I'll send you like a nice little meme or gif or something that'll make you laugh for that day. So that's where you can find me all over. That's awesome. Start calling you the stigma busting big sis. Yeah, send them to my DMs. I got some choice words for them. Yeah, like, oh, I'll handle it. You're way more eloquent. I just curse people out. No, I'm kidding. That is awesome. I will definitely be on the lookout for the cookbook in the summer, and I will make sure that all of your information is in the show notes so that way everybody can keep up with you. Thank you so much for coming by. I definitely will be doing this again with you. So keep your DMs. I am so excited. Thank you so much. It was so fun. You guys, that was just, my heart is happy, very happy. That was such a great and insightful conversation with Mila. Again, such a huge voice of change in the diabetes community, no matter what type, in my opinion. She is the queen of clapbacks for sure. And I am just so grateful that she shared her story and some insights and really shows us an example of how to be able to walk in your power despite what your diagnosis is. 
and being able to educate people in a way that um, still protects you and what you stand for, but is still able to let others know we got to chill out on the misinformation because that's something that's just running rampant over all over the place. Your journey and your diagnosis is unique to you. So please don't let anybody tell you different. Have the dialogue. I do agree that we should have the dialogue. Now, again, I'm petty. So if you come with the hostility, I'm a little... "Mm." But for the most part, don't be afraid if people are trying to police you or telling you that you're doing something wrong or bad to let them know that it's your body, your choice, and that what's best for you and you're the one with the CGM alarms and you're the one with the data or the meters or whatever to know how you operate and what your labs are, all of that. So don't let anybody tell you any different on how you should manage. We all have our days of struggle. So obviously do everything that you can to protect your mental health. I think of that episode of South Park where one of the kids' dads was like trolling for fun. Sometimes that comes with the territory people troll for fun, but you don't owe anybody an explanation on how you manage your diabetes for sure. So thank you, Mila, for that powerful lesson and story and everything in between that you shared. I am so grateful for you in so many ways. Again, being one of the first people that I came across who was sharing her story so openly and it touched me in so many great ways because I felt super alone and to see her was such a great opportunity and moment to learn from somebody who knew exactly what I was going through. Until next time, you guys, I am so grateful for you guys to listen in. Be sure to go follow Mila on everything at The Hangry Woman, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, all of the things. Make sure you go show, support her, show her some love. Keep an eye out for the cookbook coming this summer. I know I am. She makes amazing recipes. So if you can't wait, definitely head to her website, hangrywoman.com, and check out all of her great blog recipes. There's plenty of things to try, and trust me, they are tasty. Of course, make sure that you follow the show, and make sure that you leave a you know review or any feedback about this season or this episode on our weekly feedback post. I set that up for you guys, so that way you can talk to me about what you're hearing and making sure that I'm providing something insightful for you, or maybe you just want to share something you'd like to hear. I'm always open to ideas. Always check out us on Facebook, Instagram, and you can watch the video versions on YouTube. And then, of course, you can also listen on all of your favorite platforms, Apple Music, what was it? Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, and then some. <laughs> There's so many, but make sure to tune in and listen there and share with all your friends and family to know that we're here having these conversations every Tuesday and Thursday. But until then, I'll catch you guys next week. Bye.